episode number 43, Rachel Forbes. And welcome back to the Title Block Podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. And I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and I am back with another great designer interview, this time with the talented Rachel Forbes, a set and costume designer I caught up with at the Shaw Festival in May of 2017. On the day I record this, October 8th, it is Thanksgiving weekend in Canada, a time when we celebrate family and the harvest, and try to forget, frankly, about the genocide perpetrated by us settler Canadians on the Indigenous population, including First Nations, Inuit, and the Métis people, and who are the traditional caretakers of Turtle Island. I wanted to bring this up so I could acknowledge uh, the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabeg, a land I live on that is covered by the Upper Canada Treaties and directly adjacent to Haldeman Treaty Territory, and also part of one of the first treaties in North America, the Dish with One Spoon Wampum, a treaty agreed to by First Nations people prior to colonization that reminds us that all of nature lays in the bowl and we must share the one spoon that we are given to ensure justice and equity for all. Now, I've not done a land acknowledgement before, but uh, Thanksgiving, like so many other unquestioned rituals and holidays, uh, is too slowly taking on a new meaning as I learn of my own relationship as a settler Canadian to the indigenous population of Turtle Island, and I wanted to take this opportunity, this platform that I have, to acknowledge that. Now, this is a far more introspective intro for other reasons as well. I wanted to acknowledge the community response to the title block from two conversations I had with a couple of listeners. First, a letter I received over the summer from Adam Parbusing, who was uh, binging on the title block as he drove up through the U.S. to start a new position in the design faculty at the University of Winnipeg. Adam writes, Just wanted to thank you for the work you do with the podcasts. I've listened to a couple of them over the years and loved how they connected the past to the present. But it was only until last week that I understood how vital and important these conversations are in the greater scheme of our industry. Little shorthand bio with obvious gaps, as I'm positive you understand where I come from. Raised in Calgary, MRC in the early 90s, UFC for undergrad, went out west, received MFA and scenic and lighting design from UBC, uh, made money in film art direction in Vancouver, became disillusioned with film, uh, went to teach college university in the U.S. in 2004, Minnesota, Illinois, ended up in Louisiana in 2014, which takes me to today. Yes, Adam, that's quite the odyssey. Uh, Adam continues, finally made it back to Canada and will be to be on the design faculty or will be a design faculty member at the University of Winnipeg. Back to you. Last week, I spent over 24 hours driving up with my dog from Louisiana to Manitoba. I downloaded most of your podcasts to listen to on the way up. Your podcasts were more than just keeping me awake while driving through some spectacular but often boring landscapes. It reaffirmed my belief in what I try to achieve when teaching and also when working in the industry. It truly reminded me that people and places are key to our industry, and this community is rather small. Many of the designers on the title block I have crossed paths with over the 27 years working in theater. Being away from a direct connection to the Canadian theater community for so long, I'm thrilled about coming back and trenching myself into the Winnipeg arts scene. 
But one of my objectives for my students will be placing them into practical professional experiences with local theater artists. Bridging that gap between the learning environment of the classroom to the learning environment of the professional industry is key in developing successful theater artists. I heard that need for mentorship for our, young, uh, for our younger artists in many of your discussions. These podcasts give a voice to many different approaches in creating theater. Each one is valid as the next. With permission, I would like to integrate these podcasts into the students' coursework. Let me know if this works for you. Thank you again for the podcasts. If you ever make it out to Winnipeg, give me a call. Hoping all is well, Adam. Yes, of course I gave permission to Adam to incorporate these into his uh, classroom. I've had uh, informal conversations like this with a couple of different people, and this is uh, apparently happening in, in uh, other places across Canada. And I thank people who are using these podcasts to share the history of theater design with their students. Uh, and of course, um, I have a long relationship with the Blythe Festival, and I've spoken to about it many times here on the podcast. Um, I had a great conversation uh, about a month ago with Andrew Cull, this year's production manager at the Blythe Festival, who told me remarkably that several of his crew members sought out the Blythe Festival in particular as a place to come to from out of the province to build their skills in rep theater and work in a place with a special theatrical heritage, all because of listening to the title block. Uh, I was a bit floored by this, to be honest with you, and I must say it was great to hear. Uh, It really... It really warmed my heart because sometimes I think I'm just sort of speaking out into the ether, you know, and, and uh, into the emptiness. Uh, and it, uh, this has proved to be uh, not only, you know, do they get some great people, but um, it proved to be a great success for Blythe. Uh, all, all accounts, they ended up with a spectacular crew this year and quite a successful season. So thank you, Andrew, for that. And this uh, really gives me the push to keep putting these episodes out and share the history of design in Canada. Now, this intro is going long, ah, but it's okay. The, the interview with Rachel Forbes, uh, she is really just at the beginning of her career. Um, and so we didn't have, you know, two hours to have a chat. Um, but uh, I, I wanted, so I wanted to take this opportunity to do, to do a couple more things. I wanted to um, uh, acknowledge um, that also on this day, which is October 8th, um, my other love, the Shaw Festival, uh, is having a bit of a, uh, an end of... Uh, an era. The Courthouse Theatre is seeing its last performance today as a venue at the Shaw Festival. Uh, it's been a venue, it was the first one the Shaw ever used, and they're actually uh, having their last performance today. 1837, The Farmer's Revolt uh, will be closing the theatre today, and that is a show that was be- uh, designed by Rachel Forbes. Uh, the Shaw has decided to end performances, uh, and uh, this knowledge is a bit informal. I've kind of pieced this together over the internet. Um, the venue, apparently they've got an aging infrastructure that they will have to replace soon, uh, but the building has a lot of issues. Um, mostly, you know, they've kind of grown as big as they can, and the building has a lot of accessibility issues, like it's on the second floor and difficult to get to for, for many audience members. Uh, they'll still be using it as a rehearsal space, but will not be, form- be performing in it after today. Uh, There are sentiments being shared all over social media as past and current performers and staff reminisce about their time uh, in uh, the odd and compelling space. Uh, I remember particularly uh, as an assistant the 3D, three-dimensional grid they have. It's ground-supported, and it's got an upper and a lower grid supported by cross members, all of which you could hang on. So imagine taking a 2D plot and representing a three-dimensional, you know, four-foot-deep grid into which you could hang lights on any kind of axis. It was always confusing, and was no end of uh, consternation during the hang. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it was really, really, really difficult to work in, uh, in from that respect. Um, also, I was, uh, I had the, uh, this week, this has been such a big week, the, the title block, uh, I was uh, invited by some uh, uh, members of IATSE Local 357 down at the center in the square, which is the theater I first began in uh, back in my teenage days down in Kitchener, Ontario. Uh, the center in the square is a very large, uh, you know, 2,000-seat uh, roadhouse uh, um, high-tech, and they just replaced all of their house lights with uh, LED lamps. And I must say, it is remarkable the way that LED technology has come um, over the last 10 years. The, the, you would never guess they were LED. It dims beautifully. It looks beautifully. The color rendition is awesome. CRI is over 90%. It looks like incandescent lighting and takes about, uh, from all accounts, um, like one-sixth of the power. Uh, one of the one of the places in the building took up to 20,000 watts of, uh, of, uh, of light, uh, and they replaced it with 3,000 watts of LED. So it's just remarkable. But there I was uh, told about a, a story about the early courthouse days back in the 60s when uh, the building did not have enough power and they replaced the, the current fuse, uh, like the main fuse for the building, with something called a Jimmy Fuller fuse. Uh, Jimmy Fuller, for those of you who don't know, uh, was uh, the president of Local 58 here in Toronto for many years. And the Jimmy Fuller fuse, yes, you guessed it, it was really just a bar of copper put between, between the two electrodes just to keep the power flowing. So... I'm so glad that, that uh, you know, one of the oldest buildings in Ontario didn't burn down. Anyways, so that was the kind of adversity they faced early on. And, they and uh, you know, obviously that, that's not the way the building is run anymore. But uh, I wanted to thank everybody uh, at Shaw and who is having their final performance today for the wonderful work they've done. And uh, the Courthouse Theatre will be remembered um, by all of us as a, as a delightful and challenging place to uh, bring theatre to Canada. And finally, I wanted to thank the Patreon subscribers that have signed over here in the last few months with a special mention of Janelle Rainville, who has uh, signed on at the $5 an episode level. So thank you very much to that for that support. Um, thanks to the generous help, again, of, gen- of Technical Director Shauna Miller. Uh, she's the Technical Director at uh, Young People's Theatre in Toronto. She's going to be a sound engineer for uh, a recording uh, of a presentation about copyright management of music in your sound design called Clarifying the Roles of Sound and SoCan in Canadian Theatre Production coming up on October 11th, 2017 in Toronto. And along with, um, in partnership with the, uh, with the Production Management, uh, sorry, Production Managing the Arts, the PM Arts uh, group, which is a subgroup of SMARTS, the Stage Management uh, of the Arts, or Stage Managing the Arts group, is presenting this uh, uh, this performance in Toronto. We'll be releasing the show on uh, the title block over the next month, along with another recording of The Bellows that Shauna also recorded for us last month. Despite the fact that I'm in school, it's still very busy here at the title block. Uh, if you're in, uh, I should mention that if you are in Toronto and want to be responsible for recording events like this for the title block, uh, you have uh, maybe you have some sound experience and the time. Uh, let me know. I'm in Hamilton now at school, and it's often difficult to get back to Toronto to record these events. So to have a uh, a satellite r- uh, recording engineer in Toronto uh, would be very helpful. Um, finally, whew, getting close. Please consider supporting the Title Block on Patreon.com. Uh, I do not get paid, but I do have uh, I have to cover the costs of web hosting, recording equipment, and now travel. So your help to continue capturing the history and present state of Canadian theatre design would be appreciated. Thanks again to those who already support it. Uh, click the Patreon button at thetitleblock.com or, or search for us on your Patreon page. And now, whew, into onto my conversation with 
Rachel Forbes. Rachel is a young designer who was given an opportunity to design the Farmer's Revolt here at the Courthouse Theater and Shaw Festival. And believe me, she shone brightly. Uh, she is a brilliant young designer. I caught up with her in May just before the show uh, was going to open. Uh, so enough chatter. Here's my interview with Rachel Forbes. Rachel Forbes is an up-and-coming set and costume designer based in Toronto, and she's designing 1837 The Farmer's Revolt here at the Shaw Festival. And we're meeting here at the Designer's Cottage, uh, a lovely house in Niagara-on-the-Lake. Rachel, welcome to the title block. Thank you. You're a relatively young designer. I think you're the youngest designer we've had on the show. Uh, can I tell them your age? Sure. Sure. You're 20 years old, right? 28, yeah. Uh, really just at the start of what it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic career. One would hope, right? <laughs> Fingers crossed. You're at the Shaw Festival when you're 28 designing. That's great. Uh, so where did you start this whole process? You grew up in Mississauga, correct? Yes, I yeah. did. And what uh, was your first experience in theater, and why did you decide to be a designer? Well, actually, I'll start at the very beginning. Sure. I'm the fifth of six children, <laughs> and uh, my family has lots of artists in it, yeah. and I thought that I was also one, but... To be completely honest, I tried out theater because it was not the art that my sisters were doing. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then I fell in love with it, I think. Um, you know, I sort of did the, the drama club thing through high school, and I designed shows at my high school in Mississauga, and that was sort of, that was the beginning. And when I finished school, I took a year off and sort of worked, and um, I don't know, just tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I went to Ryerson, mm -hmm. Um, and did the theater production program. Right. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a very technical program. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so. yes. It's my alma mater as well. I <laughs> totally understand. Was there a um, had you considered NTS or York or the other kind of programs that had sort of more design elements? Or mm -hmm. why did you land on Ryerson? In other words, well, I. I pretty much only considered places in, in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think I could afford to go out of, <laughs> out of the province, yeah. to be honest. Um, and then York to me, well, one, I didn't want to take any acting courses. Right. I sort of, that was one thing I knew. It makes me so uncom profoundly uncomfortable right, right. To, to have to do things in front of people. Um, so I landed on Ryerson because of that. And also it, I wanted to be sort of downtown mm -hmm. and be able to, I don't know, easily see shows, even though, of course, when you're in school, it doesn't happen nearly as much as you want to. Yeah, of course. But, uh, but that was sort of what brought me there. <laughs> and when did you decide to go into design? Because this is a very technical program at Ryerson. There's not a lot of, uh, certainly not set in costume designers that come out of there, a lot of lighting designers and technical directors and sound mm -hmm. and techs and things like that. So what, uh, what drew you towards design? Like you said, you, had, you told me previously that you sort of kept it a secret, like you wanted to do this, but you didn't really want to tell people about it? I guess, I mean, partly that was a lack of confidence, sure. but, um, but yeah, I didn't really, I thought I wanted to design, but I wasn't positive. And I had come from a, sort of a, like a practical hands-on sort of background. I love building things. I still do. I love painting. I loved making props, that sort of thing. But doing it, I don't think I wanted it to be that, to be my job all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of the luxury of being able to do it sometimes was yeah. nice. Um, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I certainly uh, there's it's not an uncommon um, there's not an uncommon period before people become designers that they have this transition or they they do all the different types of jobs and then finally are able to 
gather enough work together to sort of call themselves designers. Have you st- have you stopped doing? Uh, have you reached that point now where you've stopped doing the other bits and you're really just focusing on design? I think I have. Yeah. Um, I mean, up until last year, I was still doing video cab, which is the one thing that I that I wasn't designing, and I and I did a lot of assisting, which sometimes meant building. Yeah. Um, Mostly, mostly costumes, but uh, I think I've reached that point now where I'm not doing very much of, of anything else. Yeah. That's a good feeling. <laughs> part it of it's frightening, but part of it's a good feeling, right? Because you're just doing the thing that you're, you're really focused on. Good, yeah. Right? yeah. Um, did you get a lot of, were you able to have experience, like for example, for set design, there's not a lot of experience that you get in designing set at Ryerson, right? Just drafting and all the technical bits. But you don't really get handed the reins very often. Is that true still? Um, or? Well, no. They have they have student designers for most of the shows, uh-huh. um, except for the big the big like fourth year oh, right. productions where where d- professional designers brought in. Mm-hmm. But you know, sort of all the smaller ones. I don't know. They do they do quite a few shows. Yeah. Every every class has at least two, and there's like a dance. And so um, there were options. I did not do any of them <laughs> I did a lighting design <laughs> okay. I did a lighting design but I never did any other design while I was there yeah. so what was your first so how did you enter into design into design then what was your first kind of um, uh, set and costume design kind of role yeah um, that's a great question it must have been a small oh you know what mm-hmm. I had a, a small <laughs> This is sort of embarrassing, but yeah, I did, okay. as everybody has, a, a small company, right, uh, when I was probably still in school, though, in second year. And uh, we did a production of Hooray for Johnny Canuck, okay. um, uh, which we did in Mississauga. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I directed and designed oh, the set. <laughs> That's great. A weird combination. <laughs> Not unusual in those most kind of smaller companies, though. But that's yeah. terrific. How did you find directing? Was that something you were drawn to, or was that just sort of? Absolutely. Yeah. There was a time when I thought it might be something I did, yeah. but that was when I was very, very young. Yeah, you never know. He might be the next uh, Michael Levine. He's directed. Uh, he's directed operas now. He's moving into some oh. directing. Like he did. Um, he directed God of Damarung. He did one of the ring at uh, COC when he designed everything. Then he was actually the director for one of them. And it seems like not an obvious place to come from to be a director, mm. but it makes so much sense because you have this visual kind of scope that is um, that 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 you can draw from that uh, like a director who comes out of acting may not have, right? Mm-hmm. So who knows? Who Sounds knows? Like a good idea. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. The more directors we have who are designers, the better the design is going to be, right? Yeah. Uh, that's terrific. And so uh, you understand you apprenticed also at Obsidian. Did you get that right away after you left Ryerson, or was that something you um, had to work up to? Or Well, I spent about a year doing, like, small, very small indie shows mm-hmm. and, yeah, just tiny independent things. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, and then the, the year after that. So it was one year out of Ryerson mm-hmm. when I went to Obsidian yeah. and did an apprenticeship. Uh, it, did you find, I mean, this obviously spoke to your the career that you wanted, uh, how did you find, uh, well, first of all, what were your responsibilities? Was this a full-time job? Yeah, so so Obsidian, they run a program. Mm-hmm. It's an, it's a mentor-apprentice program. So they, it's full-time for those, probably it's about eight months, right. and you right. have to do two projects. Right. Um, and I worked under two different designers. Mm-hmm. So I started with um, Michael Gianfrancesco, mm-hmm. and I apprenticed on... Um, 
Once on This Island. So right. it was a, a, a co-pro with Acting Upstage. Oh, right, it's a musical. Uh, a musical. Yeah. So that was great. Um, and then they set me up with Astrid Jansen, mm -hmm. and that was my first video cab right. as apprentice costume designer. And like, what an amazing experience. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. You've been trying to get Astrid. I'm gonna, uh, I've been trying to work up to getting Astrid on the show. We haven't had her on yet, so I'll have to, talk, so I'll have to rely on your kind of experience <laughs> with her to sort of tell us about what she's like to work with. Um, what, what kind of things did they have you doing? Like, were you model building and, uh, uh, you know, um, helping out with that stuff? Or what Yeah, so VideoCab, they, they still use the same, the same set, the same black box, mm -hmm. take it into Soul Pepper and, and work in it. So that was sort of all set, and I was just in the costume, in the wardrobe. Oh, and, and actually, Astrid, in those days anyways, worked in the wardrobe as well, full right. time, the whole time we did the build, she was there almost almost all day, every day. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just worked, I just, I learned, I learned a lot more about sewing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> some interesting tailoring things. Yes. And yes. some, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but yeah, I, we were, it was, it was a lot of building and a lot of uh, like dec costume decorating, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we would go, I think they took me fabric shopping once or twice, yeah. <laughs> you know. That's fantastic. Yeah. Great. And you got your chops. Now, you and I understand that you ended up uh, assisting uh, Astrid after, from that point on, right? You get it, guys did a lot of work together, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think I did everything she did for two years, wow. <laughs> or almost everything she did, which uh, also amazing. Yeah, you that's know, an I got unbelievable to... kind of way to get your, like, get experience, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. I got to work with Wayne Mangesha mm -hmm. and Janet Sears, mm -hmm. um, who are the other amazing people she works with. We got to do two Pan Am projects wow. that year. Mm -hmm. I assisted on both, I think. Oh, wait, I can't remember how that panned out, mm -hmm. <laughs> but at least one of them. Um, and, yeah, we, I learned a lot from Astrid about about the the creative process, mm -hmm. like the design process, because she would bring me in from the very beginning, mm -hmm. and I would go to every meeting with the directors, and 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 then from I mean I would take on the model at a certain point, and I would take on all the drafting, right. um, uh, yeah, sort of, sort of all the digital communications because right. Astrid only drafts by hand, oh, right. um, and sometimes she doesn't draft at all. I would just draft it from the model, right. um, yeah. But working with her, sort of watching the way that she that she creates it's sort of like watching a painting come to life mm -hmm. you know it uh there's sort of like broad strokes and then and then refining and refining and refining but um yeah I don't know I don't know if I know anyone like her yeah she's certainly a singular designer well like terribly well respected she was a silver ticket winner mm -hmm. uh with Doris when was that 10 years ago Oh, quite a while ago. A while ago. She was one of the silver ticket winners. Um, and, and what about, uh, tell me about her design process. What was your, like, like more specifically, uh, it is, uh, does she, I mean, she starts from the model. Yeah. Like a lot of designers, but how does she, um, what was your experience in trying to, were you inside her head when she was kind of coming up with ideas and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and how did she approach, you know, from your kind of position, how did she approach the play and. And, and how did she get her ideas and things like that? It's mm -hmm. um, a good question. I know <laughs> one time she said to me that that something was sort of a pretty picture. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like most of Astrid's designs tend to be almost like blank slates. Mm -hmm. 
um, where anything could happen, if that if that makes sense. Um, and I think her process it tends to be it's. I don't know if I can speak to it completely, but sure. but the work she does with color is very interesting to me. The way that she sort of um, builds, uh, like, does she start, like, does she do uh, rent, like sketch and render and all that other stuff, or does she start from the three D? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a lot of her sketches, mm-hmm. not for set, anyways. Yeah. Um, she definitely starts with the three D, yeah. plays with with shapes and sort of layouts. Um, she thinks a lot about, uh, she's kind of technically minded mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, she's always interested in things that are new mm-hmm. and she works really closely with lighting designers mm-hmm. so that from the beginning, she's thinking about where light can come from within the set right. and how they can interact. Um, very early on, she's talking about that stuff very early on, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, but she definitely works 3d first. Right. Mm-hmm. And ha- and what did you take? Like, how did your process change? Were you were you designing as well at the same time you were assisting her? Are you doing other projects? Yeah, you know? I was. And how did her kind of how did the work with her change your process? I think um, well, one I used to sketch and I used to draft really early because mm-hmm. coming from a technical background, I I was very yeah I, I always thought about how things would go together. And, and I think a lot less about that now because oh. there's some really great people out there who will figure out how to make things work. Right. <laughs> and I don't have to be that person, right. which is, was a, a big lesson for me, yeah. realizing that um, she thinks a lot about sort of big picture, um, what types of um, spaces mm-hmm. are necessary. She thinks a lot about the, like, I learned a lot about audience relationship from her, about sort of how you might take a room and change things around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a few shows at, um, like in historic houses, did a couple shows in the Campbell House Museum oh, right, yeah. and the Gibson House Museum. And and it was really helpful to have thought about how you could bring an audience into a space mm-hmm. in ways that are interesting and not, and interactive at the same time. Yeah. So that's really wonderful. Certainly something that we don't, um, kind of the traditional static audience proscenium you know stage is a bit uh it's a bit um it's not very it's very static and mm-hmm. so sort of having an idea or having that uh, ability to move the audience around within the piece uh seems like a seems like something that theater is particularly good at like that would be mm-hmm. something we should be probably focusing on right like that kind of found space stuff that's terrific uh and when did you so what uh, what year was this you fin- you just when did you finish your, your kind of assisting of her? Like when, I, did you do, when did you finish that? I was assisting her in 2015, right. so pretty recently, so and maybe, maybe 16 too. So a lot of, you did a lot of work. Um, I'm just reading your CV here as mm-hmm. we speak. Uh, <laughs> you did a lot of work with um, with VideoCab. How did you find the black black box space? Because it's um, a per- very particular. Yeah, you know, I think that VideoCab generally does a very particular thing yeah. where the black box space it's. It, it's sort of like the whole thing is a setup for, for costumes. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would project onto the screen that's in front of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it really is a space just so that there's no light except for exactly where you want it to be. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
the thing that I heard a lot about but didn't witness myself was that there was a, a big shift over the years from it used to sort of be like a pin spot. Mm-hmm. Like you'd see the actor only from the waist at the lowest. Right. And so, you know, pants didn't matter very much. Oh, and just right. generally the bottom of a costume you wouldn't see. Uh-huh. That's from what I've heard anyways. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see any of those shows. Yeah. But now, but it had sort of started to expand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spent time making like big busts and big bums too so you know all the way down we would see costumes almost to the floor some of them right. so that's it interesting yeah jim plaxton told us about the development of the pin spot uh process about how they would cut out holes in yeah. the ceiling to shine stuff to control the spill because that's like your biggest it's your biggest um kind of monster you're always wrestling with those lighting is what to do with the spill Hi there, I'm briefly interrupting to ask you once again to support the title block on Patreon.com. Click on support, this will bring you to my Patreon page where you can donate a small amount every episode. I'm just asking that you help cover the costs and help me to continue to capture the story of Canadian theatre design. Go to Patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate a couple bucks an episode. It really helps. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about uh, how the heck did you end up at Shaw, first of all? <laughs> 28 years old at the Shaw Festival. And the, uh, the, the, you're doing 1837, The Farmer's Revolt. That's going on at the courthouse, is that yeah, right? Yeah, it and is. The lighting designer is Steve? Is Steve Lucas. And you're doing sets and costumes. I'm doing sets and costumes. Fantastic. So how did you it end really up It really is fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I was living my life, and then one day Philip Aiken called right. and said, hey, do you want to come to Shaw with me? <laughs> He actually said, <laughs> he said, uh, do you want to come to Shaw? We'll be the only black people. <laughs> He's like, people will think you're my daughter in town. And I have to admit, I've been quite disappointed. There are a ton of black people here this year. It's, it's really oh, not fair. That's really, yeah. yeah, you're not going to stand out. That's too bad. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's fantastic, though. That's a great yeah. call to get. It's a wonderful call yeah. to get. Had you worked with Phil before? So I ha- we have never worked designer, director before. Right. I've worked, so I had done that apprenticeship with Obsidian, and a, two, a year or two later, they had asked me to come in and do a mini apprenticeship um, under the GM, just learning about oh, producing okay. and all that sort of stuff, and, and doing some sort of some office work and, and that sort of stuff. So I spent a bunch of time in their, in their office, right. hanging out. What an in- it's an interesting company to be around, For because sure. it's only... Two and a half people, <laughs> and yeah. and they do really great stuff. But the th- thing that's nice about Obsidian is, if you're sitting in the office, there's a across the street, there's a studio where a lot of auditions happen. Uh-huh. So like all the black actors in the city will just swing through, right. <laughs> and you you just meet people like that. It's fantastic. It's great. That's great. That's great. That's terrific. Uh, and so what has what has your process been down here? Because I imagine. I mean, we've talked about, again, we've talked about the machine uh, in the big festivals and going from independent productions or even just singular productions in a rental house is a completely different kind of thing mm-hmm. than working in the big machine down here. So how did you, especially as a young designer, you hadn't apprenticed here before. I have never worked here. Many cases, well, uh, with, the, with the young designers, I guess they, they've, uh, in the past, you've people have assisted for a couple of years, maybe taking a year off, come back and design. But this is your first kind of experience at the shop. Mm-hmm. Right? How do you? How did you? Um, how did you enter into that? And how did you find? You know, did you have to adapt? Obviously, adapt your process. But how did you find entering into that experience as mm-hmm. a brand new person to the shop festival? Yeah, um, 
the Shah is definitely different than any place <laughs> right. I've ever worked. Yeah. It's a much bigger machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and uh, I mean it's definitely there's a learning curve when it comes to to figuring out how things are going to work because every every department is working on multiple shows mm-hmm. and you're not you're not the only thing in the world. Right. <laughs> yes. And having come in my show crossed with a a big musical right. and another big show. Right. And so, you know, you get sort of the brush off from the wardrobe until they're ready for you, yeah. it, which is fine, you know, but uh, it's it's just interesting. I'm sort of came in really eager, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a hurry up and wait right. sort of feeling where, yeah. where, you know, they, they have to fit everything into interesting timelines and tight timelines. Yeah. Uh, one thing I found very difficult is that I had to design the show. I felt like before, before all of the, directorial decisions had started to be made right. so in 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 meeting with philip i felt like the design conversations were pushing him to work on the show right. because everything has to happen so early mm-hmm. and you know everybody's working on other projects he's directing other shows yeah. right up until you know we actually start so that was interesting um it felt a little more self-directed because because I was probably thinking about it more knowing, you know, with deadlines hanging over my head, like months before the show mm-hmm. was going to happen. That uh, When is your, de- when is your uh, opening? You're on the second opening, or is that right? First, so we oh, opened first opening. end of May. Oh, end of May, okay. Mm-hmm. And when was your deadline on renderings, for example, for costumes? Uh, costume renderings, January. January. Gen- like, Mid-January. <laughs> right. So that's five months in advance. Um, when was the build? When, the, when did the build start? The build started t- towards the end of March, yeah. let's say. I mean, I think if it had been a bigger show, like if I had asked for more, they may have had to start earlier. But And are you doing it in, in period? Um, or? Period influenced. Okay. That's what I like to say. <laughs> all right. Yeah. What's, what's um, Philip's take on the, on the play? First of all, for those who don't know, uh, I mean, it's a pretty... It's a pretty well-known Canadian play, mm-hmm. but to give us a little synopsis and then how uh, you see f- how Phil Aiken has sort of approached it. Mm-hmm. So 1837, The Farmer's Revolt. It was a play originated at Theatre Passamurai in the 70s, um, sort of a collective creation and then and then written by Rick Saluton. Um, and the story is basically about the, the rebellions, uh, in, in Upper Canada mm-hmm. uh, that happened here, sort of between the working class people who were reformers and and so the British sort of ruling class who had control of everything. Right. Yeah, so there was a bit of a battle in Toronto and that's what the show all leads up to. Right. And so uh, you're saying period-ish. What was the, <laughs> again, what was, what's, what, what's Velikin's kind of approach to it? Is yeah, he, so our, the show, I feel like, generally feels period Esque, yeah. because, um, I mean, the language is sort of fun. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little. It kind of feels like video cab in a way. Maybe because it's a bit of Canadian history. It's snappy. It's yeah. it's um. You know, you get a bunch of snapshots of different people, and then it all sort of comes together. Um, but but our take on it has been, Phillips added a lot of music, oh, really? and so it's a very lively, high energy. Mm sort of piece Mm -hmm. with a ton of movement you know people are up and down and about and stomping and jumping Mm -hmm. and and like physical 
physical music as well, mm-hmm. like stomping and clapping and, and things to, to make rhythms throughout the show, which mm-hmm. gives it a, a bit of a different feel mm-hmm. than I imagine it had yeah, when it first. Who's, uh, who's the composer on the show? So um, well, there's, we, ha- we were working with uh, John Luke Addison, mm-hmm. who's actually, uh, I'm not sure his exact title. He's in the, the, the music department. Oh, okay. Um, but he's been great. He yeah. sort of, we uh, rearranged some, some songs and put some, yeah, some, some interesting music, some Canadian stuff in there, yeah. which is great. And how about um, how about the set? So the courthouse, uh, for those who've not been at the courthouse, I'll put a picture up on the in the show notes. Uh, it's a thrust stage that mm-hmm. has really no proscenium. Like everything upstage of the proscenium is basically just backdrop and crossover bits, right? There's not a yeah, lot of, there's but, not a lot of space yeah. upstage of the proscenium. Um, the courthouse actually, for me, it's been a very tricky space. Right. I think most people would say the same. Yeah. It has wild sight lines. Yes. You know, they seat people right up into this. into the proscenium so it's really interesting I've taken a bit of a I mean it's it's quite open Uh when I say period-esque we took the idea of a corduroy road Uh so you know road made of logs um and I turned that into like a big curving ramp that sort of crosses the whole space um and that's pretty much the only set piece it's just this big curved ramp Mm -hmm. but there's a, a giant backdrop and I took some influences from um, Nora Morisot and Daphne Ojig, yeah. another sort of like uh, Indian group of seven, as mm-hmm. it were, yeah. who were actually, I think they formed up in that same year that this play was written, oh, really? oh, which is a, an interesting sort of, you know, coincidence that they, yeah. or not, probably, you know, in the collective consciousness, there was a, a desire to mm-hmm. bring to bring forward some some non colonial influences yeah especially since we're uh, currently experiencing canada 150 and there's been a lot of kind of controversy over who's 150 is canada really 150 years old like let's be real here uh so that's a terrific uh -hmm. are you dealing with any of the i mean that's probably peripheral to what's going on on stage here but has that been something that you guys have talked about or so i think we've talked about it a lot because Mm -hmm. i mean philip had originally asked me if i would put in some sort of loose, some sort of faded symbols to sort of sh- show what was, what was, that the land that was being disputed uh, was actually already native land, right. yeah. you know. And then I sort of took that and ran, yeah. <laughs> you know. When you, the whole thing is a bit of a colorful explosion of of that sort of native art taken from those, right. from those artists. That's fantastic. Um, so it's it's come up in rehearsal because it's something that we talked about early on. Um, that's great. And how about it's, um, this is part of the expanded mandate because they didn't really do shows like this until, I don't know, five or ten years ago. Because before that it was, they had they had expanded the mandate uh, to include shows about the period or shows mm. um, that took place in the period but that we could, that were written by modern authors. Um, and... And it's also a Canadian story, which is not really told on the Shaw Festival stage. We do a lot of English drama here. Yeah. And there's not a lot of, uh, you know, or American musicals. There's not a lot of Canadian stories that get told here. So is there, do you think this is going to be, is this going to be, not difficult, I mean, it's just going to be, courthouse is generally the risk, Mm -hmm. where the risk is. 
um, like it sounds like it's in a good place. This is exactly where it should be, right? I think so. Yeah. And I think um, they've actually put this play forward as a, a 150 sort of contribution. Oh, perfect. Canada 150 yeah. thing. So, so it is sort of on purpose that there's a bit of yeah. Canadiana being scheduled. And I, I think, though, that it will be received well. Or, I, I mean, I think it will get garner some interest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And apparently they've... Uh, we're doing a performance for the migrant workers mm. in this region, which I don't think they've ever had any of them. That's really surprising. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. fantastic. Cause wonderful. there's a real, yeah, it's wonderful. There's a real, um, yeah, we can talk about the dichotomy in Niagara <laughs> on the lake between what's happening out in the fields. <coughs> Excuse me. What's happening out in the fields and what happens downtown Niagara, because there's definitely two communities of people mm-hmm. here that are completely different and don't interact Absolutely. Um, that's how do they? Who is who is their uh, go between? Like how do they? Um, who's uh, who's representing the migrant workers? Like how do they get people involved? I have to admit, I don't know. Mm. It's I maybe I'm rumor mongering by saying <laughs> it at all. <laughs> but I, I heard it with some certainty, so I yeah. thought <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that's happening. But I don't know a lot about it yet. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any opinion about? Uh, <laughs> the racial divide in Canadian theater, like people of color and their place in Canadian theater, and how that all fits out. I'm not going to ask you to be a representative of the black community, but you know what I mean. No. Like coming through the Obsidian program, and mm-hmm. now um, just because your comment with Phil, and and, and do you, do you feel uh, tension? Do you like how do you? What's your take mm-hmm. on that? And how do you how do you feel like you fit into that? And has yeah. it been? Any you know, or not, right? I'll admit that um, uh, all through sort of, I guess, starting from theater school, mm-hmm. I got very used to being the only black person around mm-hmm. and didn't hardly considered it. I was just really used to it. Um, and then sometime around the same time that I did the Obsidian Apprenticeship or just after, I started working with Debbie mm-hmm. Young and Eat Africa, and, which is a whole other world. (laughs) I could talk about that forever. But um, (laughs) she's been very interesting. And then... um, Before you depart, why don't you just tell us about your experience with that and how how you fit in there? Yeah. I'm interested to find out. Well, a couple things have been very interesting about working with Tibi. She's... um, she has this like beautiful soul where when she creates work, um, it almost doesn't even come to life until there's people there. Mm-hmm. She speaks like directly to the audience, right. even when she's not addressing them. Um, and, and her work sort of uh, comes really uh, organically, mm-hmm. if that's a way. So we did a, we did a new piece. Uh, I did the the first and the third of her most recent trilogy. Mm-hmm. And the first one, you know, it was just a concept. Mm-hmm. And I found that we had maybe only two or three conversations mm-hmm. and a design just formed. It's one of my favorite pieces I've done that, uh, you know, she said a few words and I said, oh, my goodness, here's this thing. And right. she was and she loved it. And it only got better as we kept working. Uh, so and I kind of feel that way every time I talk to her. I mm-hmm. think, oh well, you know, she says something and it sets me off somehow. It's right. really beautiful. Like it's like she's speaking directly in right. inside of me or something. Right. It's really strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one of the things. And then also, I mean, I've never worked with so many black people. 
Except for, actually, I did with Astrid. I worked on. Um, we were doing. We did a workshop of Obia Opera, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, Is that at Buddies? No, that was with uh, the workshop. Happened in dance in a dance maker space, but it was um, Nightwood. Oh yeah, okay. Nightwood was Nightwood, a big yeah. part of that. Right. Yeah. Um, but that, oh, we also did Adventures of a Black Girl. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I've, I don't know, it took, back to the, the yeah. first point, yeah, yeah. that uh, I, it took a while for me to realize that, that I was a bit of a oddity, not oddity, but a... Anomaly. Anomaly, or... Mm, sure. Not, no, not, not really, though. That, no. I don't know, it's not the novelty. I, I often feel like when, I, when I'm working on something, it's... I'll be the first black person who's designed in that place. Oh, right. No, no pressure. <laughs> not, not that it, you I mean, know, it shouldn't be, nobody's right? talking about no. it, but when I think about it, I think, oh, I'm the first right. one here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, um, Canadian theater is really white. And I yeah. feel like the stories that we're telling are reflective of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'd be nice to see different stories on stage. Obviously, Obsidian is doing that, and Debbie is doing telling stories. And there's obviously a, um, a community out there, but uh, it doesn't seem like it's, mm-hmm. I don't want to use the word integrated, but they're, tell- they're talking to different audiences, maybe. There's certainly the same thing with the South Asian community, too. There's a real, um, there's a pocket of uh, South Asian theater um, that. Mm, novelty is not a good word, um, but it feels like it feels like we should be telling these stories all the time to uh, to everybody, and not just in a special occasion. Right? These mm-hmm. are Canadian stories, and we are all part of the same community, and we should yeah. be probably talking to each other about it more than avoiding it because it makes us <laughs> uncomfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> On that note, yeah. I mean, I loved Factory season. I, yeah. m- I admit I didn't see everything, but. Beyond the Great White North, what yeah. a great no all playwrights of color yeah. all the whole season. Because yeah, yeah. I had done uh, How Black Mothers Say I Love You. Mm-hmm. We had just we'd done it in the spring as a rental company. Yeah. Just produced Trey produced it herself, um, and it was really good. And and then afterwards, you know, we were about to throw the set away, mm-hmm. and then they say, "Well, we want to pick it up for the season," right. and it was and that was really great. So that's terrific. So what is next? What are you working on? <laughs> like after Shaw, oh now my. that you, well, you're going to PEI soon, right? I am going to PEI soon. What, what are you doing there? I'm working on a, a Canada 150 project there. So they have a, the Confederation Center has a, a young company mm-hmm. that they do every year. Mm-hmm. But this year, um, you know, there's some extra funding and uh, they're writing a new musical called The Dream Catchers. Uh-huh. And it's, it's just, um, the, the writer and uh, an artist who make Dreamcatchers, they traveled the country, every province and territory, mm-hmm. did a workshop with young people and talked to them about their dreams. And they brought an artist from every place. Mm-hmm. And, and then all those artists submitted songs based on the concept and the day they spent with the kids. Yeah. And they're turning that into a musical. That is fantastic. <laughs> Yeah. Is it going to tour? Is it going to stay in PEI? So or? there's two companies. Yeah. This is the first year I think they've done that. So mm-hmm. they have a, a touring company and a PEI company, and then they switch. Oh, right. Okay. So they both get to tour, but uh, I don't think they go. So they don't both go everywhere, but That's it's great. great. And it will, So it will be all over so the be, country. So you're designing a touring show, basically. 
Yes. Not basically, you are designing a Turing yeah. show. So is it the first time you designed a Turing show or is... Yes, yeah. in this way. That's, mm-hmm. that's a whole other kind of different... And like I've designed shows that have gone places, but not that have toured. Right. And how like about... This. What space are you are, are you in at... Uh, it's outside. It's in the... Oh. It's just outside the doors to Memorial Hall, right, where yeah. there's those stairs down. Yeah. And that space, they built a little stage. That's great. What a great story. And then you come back here to finish up. Is that the idea? You're back um, in... No, I will... I'm, I'll fly back for opening. Right. Um, but... But I'll be gone. But you're done. I'll just be done. Yeah. How does that feel? I mean, you'll be back for opening, but there's all these previews, and the show is basically done for you now, right? Almost. Like, I know we had our first preview today. Yeah. and How'd it go? It went well. Oh, good. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the audience seemed really into it, yeah. and yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm finally, you know, sort of like, settling into the I used to get so excited and nervous and stuff mm-hmm. for openings and, mm-hmm. or anything audiences sure. now I just feel like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> moving on like, yeah I think maybe I'm just settling into the excitement it's yeah. just a, that's terrific and what else in the summer like you're after you're done PEI um then I get some time off finally Great. a little bit of time off and I'm I might be working on a summer works project you know things like that yeah, sure. just taking it easy is there anything we didn't well, maybe we should talk about your experience uh, cutting another the things that we um, uh, talk about on the podcast or have in the past uh, is the experience of wardrobe uh, in the country. You've, have you ever worked the the cutting and wardrobe experience you've had? Is that just connected to your work with Astrid, or did you work as a freelance mm. cutter or sewer? I've worked as a as a freelance stitcher a little bit. Yeah. Um, through Video Cab, I met Mel McNeil, Melanie McNeil, and she's hired me on to do a few things. And I've been, you know, I've done a couple, sh- built a couple shows, or not, not a lot, but, but some. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's, it's good experience because you know you, every time you do a show, you work with more and more fabrics, or you realize a new problem and find a new way to solve it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Actually, I, I built a, a dance show for Pro Arte Danza with Melanie McNeil. And that was very interesting, you know. She wanted them to be wearing sort of regular, certain regular everyday clothes, and it was altering all of that for dance. I learned a whole lot. How did you, how did you work, uh, how did you feel coming here where you're, you're hands off? Yeah. Is, a, is it a union shop at Shaw yet? Um, it is a union shop, I think. Yeah, yeah. it is. So you're, you're like... You're well, explaining all your bits and you've got your renderings and everything else, but you're not allowed to actually get in there and start building stuff, right? No. Yeah. Um, I, I will admit it's pretty freeing, mm-hmm. especially because I sort of, it, I mean, the show doesn't look complicated, but it, it is a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. we built a whole set of pants that are all really weird and tricky oh, right. um, to put together, and I sort of wanted to take advantage of the fact that there were yeah. people who knew how to make things that are, you know, how to problem solve all of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. Though I was not completely hands off. There's a there's a painted belt <laughs> in the show, oh, and I painted it myself. Nice. Like I got my hands in there somehow. <laughs> Fantastic. That's <laughs> terrific. Um, and the backdrop is painted. It is well. It's it's on a like a filled scrim. Um, okay. So I, it's a, it's actually dyed, but oh, it's wow. but it looks like painted. Yeah. Is it the first time you've done something that large scale? I mean, this is 
one of the things about Shaw is you've had all these people with so many specific kind of rich skills that you would never have access to out, mm-hmm. in, out in the real world, as we say. Yeah. Uh, that must have been freeing as well, right? It was. Yeah. I know, because I painted this, I painted the backdrop myself and then I gave it to them in scale. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I saw the real thing, it was like like mine but better. Yes. <laughs> I was like, ooh, <laughs> it just had more life to it. The colors were nice and bright, exactly sort of how I had pictured it. Right. But, yeah, I felt, I mean, here, Gwyneth is yes. just amazing. She's incredible. She, it's, and when you're talking to her, it's like she's reading your mind, or yeah. it's sort of like artist to artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she really understands yeah. what I'm That's I'm a That's a about. real compliment to the shop, actually, to say that it's exactly what you had pictured. Even though maybe the painting may have been beyond your skill at the time, mm-hmm. they knew exactly what you wanted. So that's a testament to your ability to communicate the, communicate those ideas and for their mm-hmm. skill to actually implement it. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, Steve's great, so he lights yeah. it really well. Yes. <laughs> that's perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Steve's an awesome guy. Uh, anything we haven't talked about about your life? I don't know. I don't How has your so. family reacted? There, what kind of what? What there? You said they're a family of artists as well. What are their media? Kind of. Well, my so my sister, uh, she went to OCAD, so she was oh, a visual yeah. artist. Yeah. She did lots of drawing and painting, and now she does furniture design oh, wow. and like building and stuff like that. Right. My other sister is, um, she just is a beautiful singer mm-hmm. and and like plays music. Mm-hmm. And so when I thought, oh, those two things are out of the question. Right. <laughs> you can't paint and you can't sing. I was right. like, okay, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> Theater, I guess. That's terrific. Well, it sounds like you've made a good choice. I think so. That's awesome. Uh, any advice? Now, you're really close, relatively, to, to the people that we've spoken to, close to you know when you had graduated from Ryerson, which was mm-hmm. what, like six years ago? Yeah, five Maybe years. five years. Uh, so... What about um, people who are tr- like st- trying to either make a decision to go into theater mm-hmm. uh, or trying to choose schools or trying to make sort of get those life decisions together? What, what, what advice would you offer them as far as, um, you know, should they go into theater? Mm-hmm. Uh, what should they do to prepare themselves? What would you do? What would you suggest they do differently if they want to follow the same path that you've followed? Yeah. Um, I think that the most important thing to my career has been assisting mm-hmm. and and like being mentored mm-hmm. so finding someone who really can take you on and can uh, I mean assisting can end up being one of two things mm-hmm. it can end up being you know you just do all the all the work that like the, the model building and the whatever mm-hmm. but and not getting the experience of the design process right. so if you can find someone who trusts who you can trust and they trust you mm-hmm. to let you into that process that's the thing that's that I think has informed the rest of, you know, even from Astrid, I learned how to, how to communicate with shops. Mm -hmm. Cause I came from sort of where, where at some point I could have ended up on the other end of it. And, and it actually is much more useful to not pretend, you know, everything or to feel like, you know, everything and to just say, these people do this job and I will do my side of it. So I think that, yeah, that assisting and apprenticing has been the best and most useful sort of path for me. That sounds great. I think we'll just end it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's great. Awesome. That was designer Rachel Forbes speaking to me from Niagara-on-the-Lake in May of 2017. 
Next time, another Bellows. And after that, senior Canadian designer Ken McDonald. You don't want to miss that. The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with a voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at TheTitleBlockCA and on Facebook.com slash TheTitleBlockPodcast. You can send comments and requests by email to TheTitleBlock at gmail.com. And don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you try to figure out why they're consistently, for the past 30 years, only 30% of ADs, directors, or playwrights are women, and I can't even find the stats on people of color or other equity-seeking groups. All right, not so much with the funny this week. Uh, This has to change. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. You did the four-year degree, three-year degree at Ryerson. Four years. Four years. It is four years now. Mm -hmm. God, that sounds exhausting. (laughs) It was. (laughs) By the end, I was ready. (laughs) I can imagine. I can only imagine.